providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Brian, thanks for joining us. Before we talk about uh, mortgage musings and what's going on in the industry, give us your backstory. Who the heck are you? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for, for having me. First of all, I really appreciate being here. Uh, my background is uh, after law school, I started work at a big law firm in Chicago. It's actually one of the biggest law firms in the world now called DLA. But I was there for about five years. I did commercial real estate. So I actually, that's where I got most of my training in the in the title insurance world. After that, I left. I went to in-house to a bank headquartered here in the Milwaukee area, but we had three mortgage companies that operated throughout the country. There was a retail mortgage, there was wholesale mortgage, and a wholesale second mortgage lending company. So we had a lot of uh, variation in the mortgage world that I was exposed to and that I was responsible for. I actually wore a lot of hats at the bank and um, everything from risk management, quality control, construction lending, you name it, I probably did it and uh, really learned a lot in that experience. I even managed loan officers for for a period of time, and that was probably one of the most insightful lessons for me, not only in the sales process, but also in managing a P&L and understanding the financials of the mortgage business uh, in detail. You're an attorney by trade, but you seem like a a fun attorney. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to believe there's some of those people actually exist, um, <laughs> but it's true. You know, it's it's not the, you know, Bigfoot Loch Ness monster of professions. There are some fun attorneys out there. And most of us are actually, there's probably a lot more fun than you realize. It's just, if you can get past the first few words of the, of the writing that you're looking at, uh, uh, maybe you'll find the humor in it. Talk about mortgage musings. This is a great blog. Where did you get the idea? You know, actually, uh, there's been a bunch of people that influenced me and and um, sort of encouraged me to put my thoughts in writing in a format for others to to read. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Chrisman. He does a daily email for. I don't know. He says he sent it out to like forty thousand people in the mortgage industry. Rob, Rob's been a good friend and encouraged me. And uh, there was a couple other guys, um, Brian Rieger, Rick Grant, who are involved in content marketing, um, suggested that I should do something. And I kept putting it off and never really finding the right uh, format. And finally, I just decided to to just do it right at the end of last year. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been interesting for me to to sort of find my voice a little bit and and hopefully provide something useful and fun for people in the industry to read and, and learn something from. Yeah, I want to be brutally honest here that, you know, I think everybody listening to this podcast would likely agree that a majority of what we see in the industry is a rehash of somebody else's stuff, right? And that's what I think is nice about your blog is it's your unique opinion and insight and a heads up on things. Honestly, we don't see it's coming directly from you. And I mean, it's, it's fresh. I do like to borrow from, you know, pop culture things like, you know, princess bride quotes and, and I'll talk about my favorite, you know, blue cheese to put in a, in a blue cheese, uh, olive martini, but I do try and keep it fresh and 
provide something that, you know, an insight that maybe somebody, somebody else isn't really talking about, um, things that might be coming down the pike that, that you should be aware of that, you know, when everybody's so focused on the day to day and, you know, getting deals closed that maybe you need to think about what might be around the next bend. Yeah. And as an attorney, I mean, many attorneys write a dissertation on one topic and, you know, I look at this and say, you know, latest blog on DTI, you got it covered in two paragraphs. Well, it's not that hard um, unless you're, you know, you're trying to <laughs> practice law. What I, I'm not trying to practice law in this blog. I'm trying to just, um, you know, again, pro- provide some insights, have a little fun and hopefully entertain in a way that you can learn something um, and not feel like it's a chore to read. That's the goal. Like I, I may have said to you earlier that that I, I sometimes worry that it, it shows a lack of humility and in trying to think that people actually care what I think, but, um, but more people keep signing up. So, you know, I guess I'll keep writing it. I don't really have a schedule on it. It just maybe about once a month, sometimes more frequently, sometimes less, uh, just whenever the, the mortgage muse hits me. Mortgagemusings.com sign up today. Okay, Brian, let's talk about, uh, the topics of the day. RESPA, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. What's going on with all of that right now? Give us the latest. So I sort of have to give you the frame of reference for why why it's even worthy of talking about RESPA. Under uh, Richard Cordray, when the CFPB was first formed, there was very aggressive RESPA enforcement. When I say RESPA enforcement, I'm talking about Section 8 referral fee prohibitions. And they were looking at all the structures that people in the industry have, uh, joint ventures, marketing services agreements, and the like. And um, they were taking a very aggressive posture on RESPA. So aggressive, in fact, that many people thought they were exceeding what the what the law actually allowed them to do. And there was a case that went up to the D.C. Circuit. Ultimately, it was decided by a uh, three-judge panel. The opinion was written by now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, essentially saying that the CFPB was getting it wrong, that you could pay for services under the HC2 exception to um, the referral fee prohibitions, and we don't have to go into that, but you could pay for services rendered as long as the, the services are needed and you're not paying more than the reasonable value for those services. The CFPB had sort of taken the position that you couldn't pay for any services from a referral source because it was obviously, in their mind, uh, just a way to get around RESPA and pay for the referrals. So fast forward to today and the new CFPB director, Kraninger, and what the CFPB has been doing on RESPA is pretty much nothing. So they haven't been enforcing RESPA in the way that it was being aggressively enforced under the prior uh, director, which isn't to say that there still aren't class action lawsuits pending involving RESPA and other types of claims. I mean, it's still illegal to pay for referrals. But the CFPB is not aggressively looking at some of these structures that the industry has in the way that they were. And they dropped their investigation of Zillow, which was a RESPA investigation as far as we know. Zillow, of course, involves you know, co-marketing on the internet and some of the, the, the pitfalls with RESPA in that. We just don't have any guidance to go from on that because they dropped the investigation. So that's a gray area in RESPA that you need to, to look at carefully. So today, there's been some 
call for more clarity from the CFPB. Brian Johnson, who was the deputy director of the CFPB up until recently, is now he's an attorney with uh, Alston and Bird. He had written a, I guess, a white paper suggesting that the CFPB should move forward and make some specific interpretations of RESPA to clarify that, you know, what they had done previously was was wrong. I actually wrote one of my musings about how, you know, we should probably just leave well enough alone. And um, with that PHH case I mentioned earlier, the decision was very strong. Um, the court is more important than the regulator when it comes to interpreting laws. And they've already they've already spoken. So I don't think we needed anything further. So, yeah, it's interesting how one administration versus another interprets and or pursues action is. I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason. I mean, you get some a new director comes in and I mean, you honestly, until they start to act or react, you just don't know. And, you know, to your point, even if the CFPB were to follow Brian Johnson's request and and come out with some more interpretations, there's nothing stopping the next administration from coming in and issuing their own interpretations, which might be totally different. So that's why I'm kind of, you know, there's a certain amount of be careful what you wish for, too, in those in those kinds of things. So my opinion is right now, the state of the law is very strong. The industry, if they get the right legal guidance, they can figure this out and act in a compliant fashion uh, and do a lot of the things that they'd like to do. What's the current status and the best uh, practice, I guess, for a compliant MSA? An MSA is the is a marketing services agreement, and it's typically more in line with what I was talking about with PHH and and payment for services. That's where you're going to pay a typically a referral source for marketing and advertising opportunities, and it's not really any different than using that referral source. And let's just say we're talking about a real estate company. You're using them as a billboard, as a newspaper, as a a means of getting your company information in front of more marketing impressions is what the the marketing folks call it. It's it's just, you know, circulation and reach um, that you're paying for. Okay. Thanks for the clarity on that. So anything in that mix, though, that we should be concerned about? I mean, when you're structuring that, um, what's the best practice for that? I think it, it's very clear that when you have a and, and what the MSA is more of what I would call an HC2 services rendered type relationship, and that's where you're paying for services. And HUD had issued some guidance on this years ago, which said those services have to be actual, necessary, and distinct, and you can't pay more than the reasonable value for those services. So, you know, you don't want to pay for something you can't use or that you're not going to use, you have to have some argument as to why you need it. You know, I'll give you an example. And I I don't, I don't represent any of the sort of the, the super large banks, you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City Chase, but back, oh gosh, it was probably a little over five years ago at some point, there was one day in the summer and I got my email blew up because every one of the big banks was pulling out of MSAs and desk leases they announced pretty much on the same day. And I thought, why are they why are they doing this? Especially when I'm, you know, getting on an airplane leaving to go somewhere my clients are <laughs> gonna be calling. Um, and it dawned on me later that 
they don't have a very good narrative for why you need a desk lease in ABC Realty or XYZ Builder or, you know, why does a, a too big to fail type bank need to have a location inside a real estate office when they've got a branch on every corner? And I think that's that sort of gets at that issue of, of is this actually a necessary service that you need? Is this something that you really need to get your brand and your business in front of a consumer? Or is this really something else? And so I always talk about narrative when I talk about RESPA. And the narrative is really another way of saying that it's it's actual necessary and distinct, which goes back to the, the that HUD guidance. The second thing that you need is to have... Um, confidence that what you're paying for those services is not more than what they're worth. And you can't value them based on the referrals that you're going to get. You can only value them based on those marketing impressions that I was talking about earlier, that that's what you can pay for. And that's how you sort of define what reasonable is. Um, there are some third parties that will do that. Uh, there's a company called Amlink. I actually do work for them. They'll value the services and they won't look at the value of the referrals. They'll just look at the value of the marketing impressions, just like you were buying a, an ad in the newspaper or a billboard on the on the highway. So those two things are the narrative and the reasonable, pay no more than reasonable value. Those two things are the are the compliance obligations for those services rendered type MSA type relationships. You know, there's a lot going on in the mortgage world right now. Uh, repurchase issues, the adverse market refinance fee that got dropped on everybody <laughs> in August, and then whoa, 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 we're gonna we're gonna give you some more time on that. Uh, talk about those aspects of the industry right now. I mean, it's it's great. Rates are low. Business is really good right now. Uh, we've seen a little bit of pullback in the market the past week or so in terms of refinance activity, but maybe address that because, you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. I mean, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. And we, t- we probably spent too much time on RESPA because it's not, when you're shooting fish in a barrel in an industry, RESPA is not as important. Uh, of, a, of an issue, but it, it's going to come back. And part of the reason it's going to come back is because of what's happening with the FHFA and adverse market fees and forbearance and what the future holds for the mortgage business and, and frankly, the title business as well, because, you know, you kind of get dragged along. You know, we've shut down foreclosures in this country, at least residential foreclosures through the end of the year. It seems unlikely that, you know, in the middle of winter that we're going to sort of reopen that as well. So my guess is we aren't going to see foreclosures on any meaningful numbers until, you know, spring of next year at the earliest. Um, and in the, a lot of this is tied in with a vaccine and, and then the, the course of the, the virus as well, which, you know, could be longer. Maybe we'll have something sooner. You know, we can only cross our fingers and hope. But what we're really doing is kicking an enormous can down the road. And it's hard to say what's going to happen in a year or in six months in terms of where the real estate market is, is going to be from a price perspective. If a massive amount of foreclosures hits the market, are we going to see price declines happen very rapidly? This adverse market fee was really just another clue to the mortgage industry, at least from from my perspective, to say the FHFA is in the business now, at least the current director, they're on a path to find a way to privatize the GSEs 
and in privatizing them, the this sort of public service goals that they have are going to go down. I mean, you have to, you know, if first first time home buyers, that makes sense. We're going to help them. But what about refinances? Well, we can charge more for refinances. Why are we why are we subsidizing refinances? Is is sort of the 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 mindset I think. I suspect we'll see things like second homes become more expensive from from a Fannie Freddie perspective. And those kinds of things I think are they're gonna start piling on. I think they they pushed it a little far with the refinance and they tried to do it so quickly that the industry, you know, jumped up and down and got that delayed. But it's still going into effect in December. And um, like I said, I think we're gonna see more moves in that direction, which will raise the cost of borrowing generally which may have a deleterious effect on the real estate industry, coupled with all the foreclosures, coupled with all the defaults, which are sort of being pushed down the road with forbearance. So business may be harder to get in the next year. RASPA may come back. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting year ahead or so uh, to see how this all shakes out. And in there's been numerous public offerings from mortgage companies here of late. What do you make of that? I think that's that's just a classic example of, you know, when things are going good, you know, sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the second quarter was probably one of the best quarters for the mortgage industry of all time. The third quarter, you know, which just ended a few days ago here, uh, may turn out to be the best quarter ever. So not surprising to see four or five companies, uh, we had Rocket Mortgage go public in the second quarter, and we've got uh, at least three or four more that I've seen announced that are going to go public. So I think it's just everyone's doing really well. They want to sort of use these earnings to to develop multiples for the future. I would just suggest if, you, if anybody's an investor to, to realize that the mortgage industry is highly cyclical, hard to imagine that you can grow these earnings from where they are now. Good advice. Then um, again, people buy Tesla stock. So what do I know? <laughs> exactly. So, what, <laughs> yeah. so what, are, what are you working on for the next blog? What's coming up? Uh, you know what? I don't generally announce my, my next topic, but it's entirely possible that we've already talked about it. I was going to say, just between us. I mean, come on. You can... <laughs> well, Brian, uh, great insight. We appreciate you taking time out to join us and uh, stay safe. All right. You too. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate you uh, talking to me today. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.